This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore, and this is The Breakfast Wrap for Thursday, December 22nd. The weather today, fairly uneventful, just a mixture of sun and cloud, a little windy and gusting to 4 degrees. However, the storm is coming our way starting tonight. We'll report on that through the show today. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, a candlelight vigil is held for the Vaughn murder victims. Number two, winter snowstorm is threatening to upend Christmas. Number three, a car theft bust bag. 51 suspects. Number four, an activity book on medically assisted death raises eyebrows. And number five, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky addresses the U.S. Congress. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Now you know it's Christmas. As soon as you get to the Charlie Brown Christmas special, this music is absolutely immortal. And you know, it was highly controversial at the time. As a matter of fact, when the network first commissioned, I mean, Charles Schultz's comic strip was a runaway success. And so they decided, let's try and do a TV show. And they put it together and the network hated every minute of it. They said the kids looked funny. The animation was jerky. It was sad and depressing. What's with the Bible reading? And what's with this freaky jazz music? What, do you want to get everybody on on pot? And it is immortal now. And even adults, I think, probably don't go at Christmas without watching a Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, But yeah, it feels like Christmas, even though there are a lot of depressing things going on around us. As a matter of fact, I've got to, I'm sure it's downstairs at the front door right now. I've got to get my hands on a uh, print version of the Toronto Sun today. Joe Warmington sent me a heads up about it. And after listening to our show yesterday, they decided that all of their columnists would write about everything that they perceive is not working in this city. And it's, uh, I mean, the word one person used on one of our roundtables yesterday was dystopic. I don't know that we've necessarily reached zombie status. But I really did think that yesterday's column by uh, Ed, um, Ted Keenan, isn't it, in the uh, Toronto Star, <laughs> man named, I just, just call everybody Bob. And he used to work here. He did. He did. And he went off to Washington. Now he's back. Uh, but I think he's a very eloquent writer. And he hit, I think the phrase he used was that the city was you know, reverberating in nervousness. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I think. Anyway. All that to say, it's a bit of a curious triangulation of things because John Tory often starts his day uh, going over his files and getting things together, but also listening to News Talk 1010. And John Tory is also coming here today uh, for his year-end interview. And it's a conversation I'm looking forward to, but at the same time, when you have a day where the Toronto Sun comes out, and I think it's four or five columnists all writing about how they feel that the city is in a state of crisis. And I realize that's kind of the tenor of the Toronto Sun on any given day. Uh, but it's going to be an interesting conversation that we have together today. Last night outside of Vaughan City Hall, and it must have been a fairly chilly affair, um, they held a candlelight vigil in honor of the five victims in that condo tower who were shot to death in their own homes on Sunday night. Uh, here's just what some of the people 
had to say about their friends, neighbors, the victims. Rita Camilleri, Navid Dada, Helen Lorraine Manock, Russell Manock, and Vittorio Panza. Lorraine were the best people you can imagine. And then they would all come on Christmas Day, the grandkids, it was like, it was for the grandkids, and she would bring all the food downstairs, and they would have the ball. Oh, they were really beautiful people. They were a wonderful couple, very sincere, very loving. They just loved to dance. It's really, really sad. Like, she's she's never going to see my, like, message that I wrote to her what I wanted to tell her. It's really hit my father hard um, to see that such like good people, good, innocent people just going about their daily lives. And um, unfortunately, this is what happened. I can't believe that I'm not going to see Rita. I'm not going to see them again. I can't. That's unreal. Meanwhile, yesterday, and I think it was outside of the hospital, it doesn't really matter what the venue was, but the husband of the woman who was shot wounded but is going to, in all likelihood, survive spoke about the tragedy and one thing he said really hit me which was like this guy has not only murdered our neighbors but he's ruined our home and it's true no this is one of the reasons why the scenes of a lot of mass shootings especially school shootings are usually demolished because nobody wants to walk those corridors and you know twice a day five times a day who knows how many times think about what unfolded there And so in this condo tower, this man has not only ripped apart multiple families, but also created this sort of ghost of something that is going to haunt those, that tower forever. I'm going to leave it to the professional weather people to really map out the precise timeline because... I've already told you I'm supposed to travel for Christmas. You're probably traveling for Christmas, even if it's a small amount of travel. And I was talking to Peter Bethlen Falvey, the uh, finance minister, the other day, and he said, well, I was listening to the show this morning, and based on what you're saying about the weather, I don't know if I'm going to be hitting the road. And I said, well, where do you have to go? He said, Etobicoke. But still, it's it could end up being a day where... Uh, you know, it's slippery underfoot for people who need to walk where it's going to be ish an issue. But actually, Christmas Day at the moment doesn't seem to be the real problem. But what I can tell you at this hour is, and um, Bill Coulter, meteorologist at CP24, is going to join us again this morning to give us a better timeline. But it actually seems to have been pushed back or forward. I don't know how to, you know, necessarily. But the arrival of the bad stuff It was supposed to start raining this afternoon, and then the really bad stuff was going to hit us tonight, and it looks like it's not really going to whip itself into something until tomorrow, and then it could extend further into Saturday. And that's where it becomes problematic, and maybe you're flying, maybe you're driving, but at the moment, things are looking a bit grim. And it's not, you know, I know some people will accuse various people of uh, fear-mongering here, but I spent a lot of time yesterday because I have a personal stake in this. I got to drive to Montreal. And the 401, as you may know, especially when you get to Kingston, disaster. Cornwall, also, even in summer. But um, it's, it, you know, the timeline is really important. And I looked at multiple sources. I was going over radar from about five different places. And in the States and in Canada, they all seem to agree that this could be Um, a really ugly storm. And not in terms of total accumulation, although in Buffalo, apparently, Buffalo is in the snow belt, and they could end up being walloped in terms of how much snow they get. 
Um, but elsewhere, it's just that it's going to be snow coming down and really gusty winds. And so visibility becomes a problem uh, hour to hour. The quality of the driving surface is a problem. So like I said, I, I will strive today through use of people like Bill Coulter, who actually knows what he's talking about, to give you the most accurate picture. I mean, for us, we've just started developing contingency plans. And so the contingency plan is that we don't get to Montreal in time for French-Canadian Christmas on Christmas Eve. So then we got to start moving stuff around, other, other dinners that have been arranged, because the sister-in-law is the most important dinner. So we may have to move that to Christmas. I think there's probably conversations like this in a lot of homes. It's uh, just coming up to traffic enough to say that in a moment we'll hook up with our friends at CP24 for our segment called What Toronto's Talking About. And one of the things that Toronto, I think, I think the world is talking about is that remarkable speech last night by Volodymyr Zelensky to the U.S. Congress. And it really felt like we were watching something historic. And a lot of people are making comparisons to Churchill. And then I know a lot of people are very derisive of that, but this is a wartime leader who has rallied his people, who is beating back a bigger foe, and who is begging the world to backstop him. So there are plenty of comparisons. As we might say, some chicken, some neck. Time now to check in with John Moore, New South Radio 1010, see what's on his mind today. Morning, John. Good morning, George. Let's start here. Uh, vigil last night for the victims of the Avon condo killings. I like how one journalist described it. They said on the darkest day of the year, the close-knit community of Vaughan tried to bring some light to their grieving neighbors. There were about 100 people on hand at City Hall in Vaughan last night for the vigil in honor of those five victims at the condo. And I like what uh, Mayor Stephen Del Duca had to say in his remarks and try to bring some comfort to the crowd. He said, Vaughan is Canada's largest small town. But yeah, uh, uh, it's been a dark week for, I mean, certainly the residents in that condo tower, but the entire community in the GTA. Next, we're going to talk about the weather. You know, the more you look at this thing, it's, you know, not GTA, it's provincial, it's national, it's continental. This is a massive system. It's not just one system, but everybody's got to deal with it this weekend. Oh, you're right. It's a combination of systems. But when you look at the maps, it's astonishing. And when you think of the timeline and the urgency that people feel to travel this time of year, for example, on the West Coast, people in Vancouver, something like 12% of Air Canada's flights have been cancelled. And of course, if a plane doesn't come in, it can't go out. So this has a cascade effect. But the one that we're worried about, and I'll let Bill do all of the work on this one, because I don't want to make any mistakes, but this is threatening to hit us uh, starting tonight. Tomorrow looks like a day where you certainly wouldn't want to be outside or transiting anywhere. And then it continues into Saturday, which is the timeline that affects a lot of people, including me, because I'm supposed to leave on Saturday morning to go to Montreal, but I don't want to be on the 401 kind of chasing this storm right. as it moves east. We wish you all the best on that. Uh, Zelensky made the trip to Washington, D.C. to speak with President Biden and to Congress. What a remarkable speech last night. He entered the chamber, a joint session of Congress, just after 7.30. His remarks only lasted about 20 minutes, but it was powerful stuff and very carefully prepared. Mm -hmm. Because what he wanted to do was be resolute about the fact that Ukraine at the moment is keeping Russia back. However, the Americans are going to have to continue to pony up cash and resources if they expect Ukraine to be able to continue right. to do this. But a lot of people are making comparisons to Winston Churchill in the Second World War, saying, listen, you've got a backstop us on this. We are fighting pure evil. Yeah. 
And, you know, he made the point speaking to, I think, really uh, many of the GOP lawmakers that are coming in, not many, but some that are saying, you know, we're going to cut off this uh, this pipeline of money to Ukraine. I think he made a very salient point that this money is not charity. This is uh, an investment in global security. That's the key takeaway. And it's important to sort of zoom out and step back and realize that. That's the truth. That's not an opinion. That's just fact. Uh, John, next story. A lawyer who represents the Freedom Convoy, those protesters, he was sued. Why? Well, this actually has a major Toronto connection. Um, quite a few conspiracy theorists in the convoy movement have suggested that any flags, like a Nazi flag or a Confederate flag that showed up during the protests, they were actually planted there. And then they went a step too far. And Brendan Miller, who was arguing on behalf of the convoy protesters, insisted that a Toronto PR company named Enterprise had actually planted the flags and, and that a, a certain personnel member who he named had been carrying the flag and identified at the protests. So Enterprise has now filed a lawsuit and they are expecting to collect $2 million in damages for defamation. And it is a pretty serious charge and it's also a provably false charge. So I think that this lawyer is in some pretty serious jeopardy. And finally, I'm just going to read this headline. Canada has funded an assisted suicide activity book for kids. You know what, there's context to this, and you're probably not going to hear it, because it just sounds outrageous at first blush. It's called the Medical Assistance in Dying Activity Book. And yes, it is a book directed at kids about MAID. And while I look at this and think perhaps it is inappropriate, the idea is this. Imagine that a child who's maybe eight years old is going to be at the bedside of their grandparent when they receive medical assistance in dying. The idea is that this book would prepare them for that scenario. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, part of me thinks, like Bill Maher would have likely said, seeing this story, that it's like an onion headline. Is this real? <laughs> I mean, but, but also, you know, I, mean, yeah, I, any, I know, right? I mean, but any self-respecting kid, I remember back then, I did not like being talked down to like this as a youngster. I, I you know, had a pretty good grasp of stuff. I think most kids do. And may, maybe, uh, maybe it's the way to go with things that are this important, as opposed to, you know, shielding the children or not telling them at all. Maybe it's better to include them somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, John, thanks very much. Have yourself a, a great day and a great show. That's our friend George Legojanis over at CP24. And I just know that this study book, or it's actually called an activity book, is going to be one of the most talked about issues today. And it does. It's, it's one of those things that is so easy to turn into something else. I mean, a perfect example would be the famous death panels. And Sarah Palin was the person who coined that. The idea that groups of doctors would get together and decide who lives and dies. And it was based on a very small article in a piece of medical legislation. And the real story was this. The idea that as part of your medical care, at some point, your doctor might say, how do you see your death? It's not, can I kill you now? It's you know, you've got cancer, I, we don't know how well the therapies are going to work. Do you want to prepare yourself? And I always remember reading this uh, profile in the New York Times once, all about end-of-life care, and the one person they focused on was this woman who wanted to die at home, except she and her husband did absolutely nothing to prepare for that, and she ended up having a fairly miserable death in a hospital. So it's a perfectly reasonable conversation. And the whole idea was to create a line item so a doctor could have that conversation five minutes and then get paid like 40 bucks or something like that. But they turned that into the, into the death panels because it sounded good. So I'm still a bit squishy and I'm going to have to read this book to see what's in it. And 
maybe even the idea, and this is for individual families to decide, that a child should be present for medical assistance in dying is the, the greater question. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Thursday, December 22nd, so the first full day of winter. It became winter officially at 4.18 yesterday afternoon. I don't know that stuff like that really matters. We've been in a winter frame of mind for a good long time. And as we learned a while back, the meteorologists regard the seasons as beginning on the first of their respective months. So winter began on the first of December, summer begins on the first of June. And that makes perfect sense because we're all in a summer frame of mind on the 1st of June, even if you still have those three weeks in school where back in the day, I think schools have air conditioning now, don't they? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, we barely had windows that opened. Well, you remember this, most of the schools that we went to when we were kids had these great big windows and you had to have a pole with a hook on the end of it to open and close them. And so as you got into the month of June, the windows would all be open and you'd look longingly out through the windows at the playing fields in back of the school and dream of summer. And you knew the teacher was done. The syllabus was finished. So yeah, summer begins on the 1st of June, winter began. And so it did. I mean, it's been it's been a rocky affair so far. Rocky's not the right word. Um, we've had some snow. We've had some ice. Uh, temperatures have trended a little bit above normal, but we've definitely been in a winter frame since the first, if not before that. Um, so here we are on the 22nd, and the timing of this storm couldn't be any worse. We'll talk about it in greater detail as the morning continues, but I know there are people out there either making decisions or preparing backup plans and delaying the decisions. I'm in the second category because we've made the backup plan. But if we look out the window on Saturday morning and it looks like the storm has passed and we think we can get through Kingston and on to Montreal, then we'll hit the road and away we'll go. And here comes Christmas. If not, it's just going to be how many sitcoms and dramas on television had a Christmas special where, you know, like a storm hits and you end up in a strange place. And then a couple named Mary and Joseph arrive and they can't find anywhere to sleep. So Volodymyr Zelensky's speech last night to Congress was not surprisingly very well crafted, but it just felt like you were, there are those times where you feel like you are watching an historic moment. And I know that some churlish, churlish individuals are critical about the fact that he showed up wearing uh, his usual olive sort of combat outfit and his boots. But I also think if he'd shown up in a suit, which would be, I guess, the old school traditional thing that you would do to show respect, it would have looked funny. We've been looking at him in battle readiness ever since the beginning of this war 301 days ago. So having a guy look like he just stepped out of the war room to deliver a few remarks was, I thought, f quite fitting. So Zelensky's message was carefully crafted. First of all, he wanted to say that Ukraine is resolute, that Ukraine is pushing back against the Russians, that Ukraine is sovereign, that it is because there are those who try to pretend that it's just some sort of strange arm of Russia. And you know what? If you wanted to, you could say the same thing about Canada. See, oh, it's not this. Look, what's Canada? It's not another country. They watch American television. They live like Americans. They all speak English. It's a fake country. So that was his second point. And then the third was that they need the resources in order to continue to fight. So 
he had to do a few things. One was thank the Americans for what they have done, and two, kind of guilt them into continuing to do the same. And so he made comparisons to the American Revolutionary War and to the Battle of the Bulge, which was, people always think that in, well, not always think, but a lot of us, I think, are convinced that World War II was kind of over the day after the D-Day invasion. But there was a long summer and a horrible, miserable, cold winter where the Allied forces had to chase the Germans back to Germany. And that's where Zelensky said they are now. Thank you so much, Mr. President. Of course, thanks my partisan support, thanks Congress, and thanks from our just ordinary people, Americans. I really appreciate. I think it's very difficult to, to understand what does it mean when we say appreciate, but you really have to, have to feel it. And thank you so much. Great honor to be here. All right. That's him when he was sitting with uh, Joe Biden. And the two of them have quite the relationship. In many ways, you know, I think Joe Biden's being borne out by history here that uh, supporting Ukraine is the right thing to do. While, you know, so many in the United States are busy trying to pretend that Joe Biden is senile. Um, but the real drama was his address to Congress. We Ukrainians will also go through our war of independence and freedom with dignity and success. They have much more missiles and planes than we ever had. And it's true, but our defense forces stand. Somebody was asking, what do you mean when you say some chicken, some neck? It's, uh, I, I was going to say one of the more famous speeches that Winston Churchill said, but Winston Churchill, pretty well all of his speeches were famous. And in a speech before Parliament, which was delivered the same day that the most famous photograph ever taken of Winston Churchill was taken by Josef Karsch in the hotel next door, the Chateau Laurier. In his speech, he talked about how Every, the presumed wisdom was that Germany would roll right over the UK and that the British would surrender. When I warned them that Britain would fight on alone, whatever they did, their generals told their prime minister and his divided cabinet, in three weeks, England will have her neck wrung like a chicken. Some chicken. <laughs> There you go. Winston Churchill speaking before the Canadian Parliament. It's been a great couple of weeks for police work and uh, York Regional Police revealing yesterday that they'd busted up a car theft ring. And the thing about an operation like this is, first of all, it takes an enormous amount of intelligence gathering and a lot of discipline because you got to you can't just catch a couple of people heisting a car. You want to figure out where's the network, who's involved, where's the ring centered, how can we bring in the most people, how can we cast the biggest net. And when you disrupt something like a car theft ring or a home break-in ring, it's, it's a serious interruption in, in sort of the, the very nature of crime in the community. Because there are only so many people running home break-in rings. And if you bust one of them, then you seriously diminish um, the amount of home break-ins that you're going to have. And in this case, they brought in 51 people facing more than 150 charges. They recovered 215 stolen vehicles. And then 
you've probably seen the video of the table where they laid out all of the stuff they found, 15 handguns, an assault rifle, uh, all kinds of uh, ammunition, a whole bunch of drugs. So this represents a real blow and 51 people arrested beyond significant. Now, a lot of those people will probably be set free in the coming days because when you do a bust like this, you find out, yeah, she just happened to be there when he was arrested or, you know, he didn't even, it was, there were roommates and he didn't even know what she was up to, whatever. However, 51 people, they'll uh, hammer it down. They'll probably bargain some charges and some people are going to the clink and some cars have been recovered. And the amount of money that insurance companies pay out. I'm going to have to go back to the CTV report that I was listening to in the car on the way in this morning. But that is money that you're paying in your insurance premium to cover the spread. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. So police are still piecing together the story of everything that led up to the fatal stabbing of a man in downtown Toronto on Saturday night. As you know, eight teenage girls from 13 to 16 remain in custody. And I keep reflecting on that. I mean, I have to imagine their parents went to visit them. I've never visited anybody at a lockup, so I don't know if it looks like it does on television. But imagine being the parents where the police call you and say, your daughter is um, in a jail cell and she's charged with murder. And then you have to go in there and like, what the hell is wrong with you? Or maybe some of these parents have known for a good long time that their daughter was on the wrong path. I know a lot of really good people who've had a lot of trouble with kids. And, you know, I know, I know and, and to a person, they've all been great parents. They've been attentive and loving, and they've looked out for their kids, and they've given them all the opportunities they possibly can. And yet with some, somehow, it all comes unhinged. And in this case, I cannot imagine what it's like for these eight families, presuming all of the girls are unrelated. Uh, but we'll talk more about what we've learned. And also, the detective who was working the case was on the Vashi Capello show yesterday and had some interesting details about it. But of all the crazy things that have happened in our city over the last few months, from somebody being set fire on, on the TTC, to people being randomly attacked, to the condo shootings, to this completely outrageous situation, um, I think people feel nervous. To, that, would, that would be to underestimate how people are feeling these days. Let's turn to happier things. It is Christmas time. People are out there shopping. I went to a toy store yesterday, and well, I'll tell you more about this later, but I was mindful of the fact that when you're buying toys for kids, you have to think about the parents. Like I was in a whole row of xylophones, and I thought that would be the cruelest thing I ever did to my niece and nephew. <laughs> But here's one of the interesting things. Everybody's talking about the prices of things these days and how the prices are being driven up. And apparently the prices of toys are going up. You know why? Because adults are buying toys. We're joined by NBC News National Radio Correspondent Aaron Rayal. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning to you. And that was thoughtful, staying away from the xylophones. Well played. <laughs> I would appreciate that. But yes, these kids at heart, they are responsible for one-fourth of all toy sales. They're called kid dolls. They're grown-ups. That's around $9 billion worth of toys, and they're the biggest driver of growth throughout the toy industry. So this cohort, they're defined as ages 12 and older, and they've been steadily contributing to the industry for years now, but they're spending really accelerated 
in the wake of the pandemic. We saw this big, big, big acceleration then. And it's become more consequential to the bottom line of toy companies in the last five years. So while sales surged across the board for board games, puzzles, play sets, this was during the pandemic, the first nine months of 2022, they saw a 3% decline globally in sales volume for the entire industry. But the higher toy prices of adult toys, they help outweigh those losses. So in the last 12 months, ending in September, the kids' adult group represented 60% of the dollar growth in the industry. That is not peanuts. That is the industry absolutely giving them what they want. And, and they have this great fondness for cartoons, superheroes, collectibles, really anything that reminds them of their childhood. They, they buy merchandise like action figures, Lego sets, dolls, things that you typically might consider for kids. Not more. Not anymore. Aaron, thank you very much. Good to have you. Thanks. Have a great day. Aaron Rael, NBC News National Radio Correspondent. And I guess it makes sense because, you know, even around here, for example, the crew gave me the Scooby-Doo mystery wagon in Lego for Christmas. Um, adults. And, and then I see stuff. I've got to see, learn more about this particular thing. I don't know, Nick Mayorana, if you have seen um, on social media ads for, with video, this ball that you throw through the air and then it comes back. And it's, I, and I keep thinking, this is kind of like sea monkeys. You know, it can't possibly be real. It's, it, there must be something else. Like you order it and you find out it's on a string. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet, but it's really amazing. Um, uh, growing up, uh, I, I had a lot of great fun with my grandfather. And the game that we played was Trouble. Yeah, and with the Papamatic, you know, uh, dice and everything. And what we when I went to the store a couple of weeks ago, and I went through the toy aisle, and I saw the game of Trouble, and so many memories came by. So maybe it's a nostalgic thing with adults buying some of these toys. Oh, I think a lot of it is, and then I also think that the games that, uh, especially people our age, played when we were kids, involved a degree of physics and chaos. And I think there's such great allegories or metaphors for life today, like, for example, the way corporations are run. Remember Kerplunk? Kerplunk, for those who don't remember, was, if well, if I'm remembering, because there were two, there was one where you had a balloon and a device on top of it that was a pin, and then you would drop marbles into it, and eventually the balloon would pop. And what the fun in that is, I don't know. Uh, then there was the one where there's all these sticks that are in a cylinder with marbles or whatever the heck on top. And again, you pull out the sticks one by one and eventually all the marbles drop. And yeah, then you lose all your marbles and then you can't play the game anymore. Exactly. And then there was Don't Break the Ice. And all of these games were, I mean, they involved no skill whatsoever. I suppose Operation involved some skill. But still, we liked them, didn't we? That is The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.